sounds like an uphill climb, a continuous journey toward the peak. We all face our own struggles, each unique and challenging. In Romans 8.37, we are assured that in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. With faith and with perseverance, we can conquer any uphill climb. Your journey may be tough, but victory awaits those who keep moving uphill. So I am jazzed this morning. My like heart is just coming to come out of my Does There's something in me in the word that I just, I want so much for us to grab onto. You know that song we just sang, the second one to the last, which I need you now. I just, I just feel like there's somebody here today. Maybe I'm the only one. God, I just, I know the scripture to be true. I know, God, these things happened. I know it's fact. I know that you'll never stop loving me. I know, God, you'll never, ever Give up on me, but God, there's just a part of me that I just need you now in this situation. And if that's you, I just want to ask you to join in. Open our spiritual eyes, our ears to what the Spirit of God has for us. Amen. I hope that um, last Thursday was National Day of Prayer. It was the one day, you know, that's determined we can just pray wherever we want, whoever can pray to whatever, whoever you want to pray to. I was so glad to see so many of you at the park, at Flojo Park at 6 p.m. last Thursday, National Day of Prayer. What was really cool about that is all the Christians from all churches in our city were gathered together, Presbyterians and Pentecostals, all in the same place, man. For one reason, and that was to seek the heart of God and to pray. I truly believe that we are so close to the second coming of Christ. I believe that that is scripture is true, and I believe that the time is winding down quicker than we maybe have expected with all of the stuff that's going on in our nation and around the world. I mean, it is global problems global evil that's happening and there's only one way out of this and that's Jesus Christ and our faith in him and I just I'm just a firm believer that man I don't want to play church I don't want us to play church I don't want us just to pretend I want us to be real and authentic and cry out to God when we need him we need him now we need revival now we need him back in the church now. That sounds weird, but we need the power of God and the power of the Holy Spirit again. I'm not interested in just coming to religious gatherings. As much as I love our worship team, man, I tell you, they work hard. Vito works hard with his team all week long to give you their very best because we want you to come into the presence of God. And today I hope that, man, I tell you what, more than anything else, I want this to be a safe place. I know that church over the years has gotten just bad rap and bad uh, 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 press just because of things that have gone on in the church. And we have to remember that the church is filled with people, <laughs> pastors who make mistakes, leaders who make mistakes. We're trying our best. It's not going to be a perfect place. But I do believe this is a, if our heart is fixed on the vision and fixed on Jesus and keeping our eyes focused on him, that God will not fail. He will not he will see us through. And I believe our nation, there's going to be one big, huge revival awakening to the good news of Jesus Christ. It's like God is going to take his arm all the way from New York City to California. I believe this, that he's going to make one last sweep. And those who are willing to give their heart to Jesus Christ and not play around and not play games, but just completely surrender their heart to Jesus Christ by faith and receive him, before the rapture happens, and that's a whole other Bible study in the second coming of Jesus. I just wanted to share this with you because it's so on my heart that we not waste time. 
And we're looking at a subject today out of Luke chapter 20 about the resurrection. We're talking about Jesus' last week going uphill. Almost every page of scripture from where we are in Luke 20 to the very end in chapter 24, he is encountering opposition, people who want to murder him, people who want to discredit him, hard times, tough times. If you're a follower of Christ today and you feel like, why is it so hard? Sometimes it's supposed to be hard. But Jesus is always with us, and good things come out of that, which we're going to look at here, here in just a second. Um, we have a men's um, life group that meets every Saturday morning at 8 a.m. sharp right here on the uh, campus, at the, right out here on the patio. And as a group of guys that get together, we've been meeting for the past 10 years. We are currently in the book of Colossians. We're just making our way through the New Testament. Hopefully before Jesus comes, we'll get to Revelation, but... Um, it's just a, a, guy, a bunch of guys who are just seeking God, and it's just, it, it is so encouraging to me. Every time I walk into that Bible study in life group, I leave differently than I, when I walked in because someone will say something. Some, something will come out of Scripture. God will speak, and I'm like, gosh, I never really saw that before. It encourages my faith. Can I just say this, that we all need someone. We, we were not wired to follow Jesus by ourselves. We were wired by Jesus to follow in community. And within our community, we, we've locked hearts with some guys. And I'm just, I'm fascinated by our first responders. I, how many of you, we support, we love our first responders, right? Our law enforcement and our firefighters and military, all of them that are always, always ready at any moment to protect us and, and to protect our future and our children. One of them, uh, Donald was sharing with me, we have about six guys who are first responders in that group, and one of them, uh, Donald was sharing with me yesterday, he said, um, you're not going to believe what happened. I said, what, man? He says, um, we went into this home, there was a call for a 911 call, and there was a lady who heart, her heart stopped, literally, she had died, she was dead, and we've seen this over and over before, because I've been with the police, our fire department for many years, and he said, we, we just felt like she had been, she wasn't going to make it. Even though we were doing CPR and we doing everything they can, looking on the monitors and just rushing to get all the equipment, not sparing any moment, um, he kept doing CPR. And as he kept doing CPR, he thought in his, he was, he was praying to God, he saw on the screen a blip that came up and her heart was restored and her pulse came back and she was revived. She came back to life. Isn't that wonderful? So uh, for me... Of course, I'm not in that realm of society, although I admire our first responders. But for me, I'm like, my response to him was like, dude, you just, you saved a life. I, I don't know. I just got excited about that. I mean, somebody who thought they were dead, family thought they were dead. Now they're resurrected. They are alive again. That's exciting news to me. And I got to thinking about the very fact that you and I have been called to raise the dead. And remember that through the power of Jesus Christ, he has raised our life from the dead. We were once dead, now we're alive in Jesus Christ. Simply because of faith. Because of a simple faith in Jesus Christ, you repented of your sins, you gave your heart to Jesus, not holding anything back. You are saved, you are sanctified, you are made whole, you are covered by the blood, you have a ticket into eternity, but you also have new life here. And the new life that we have here, God has required of us to be involved in those lives that absolutely are so far away from God that they're hopefully able to see the resurrection in your life. I tell you, I, I asked Donald, I said, man, do these people ever like come back to you? 
and like say, thank you for saving my life. I mean, I don't remember that, but you, you saved my life. He says, yeah, sometimes they'll come back and give a fruit basket or something and thank the crew. I said, a fruit basket? I'd be like, take my firstborn, man. Have my mortgage, whatever. I'm back because of you. I just feel like, man, there should be that gratitude when there's genuine life change. Today we have some folks getting baptized. That's their second service. And I, I love baptisms. You, we could do baptisms every Sunday. I would never get tired of seeing a baptism because what it represents is someone who was once dead, spiritually dead. You know what it means to be dead. We were dead because of sin. We were following our own way. And we go down into that water. We come up out of that water. Our heart is changed. Our heart is renewed. There is resurrection power on the inside because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Because Jesus decided to go to the cross and die, and on the third day he was resurrected. It's a known fact. We could go through all the facts. We don't have time of why we know the resurrection is real. And if you're here today thinking, I just don't believe it. Are you kidding me? Jesus come back from the dead. You Christians have been talking about that for years. I've never seen the resurrection. I've never seen Jesus. What do you mean? It's all just a fairy tale. I just want to say it's okay, man. I was there. Check the facts out. They are amazing of the scripture and the Bible and how God laid it all out for us because he knew that you and I would be sitting here 2,000 years later. We haven't seen Jesus physically, but we know he's alive because the word of God tells us that. But I know he's alive because he's changed my life. Jesus, nobody could change me, but Jesus changed me from the inside out. And so when these people later today, when they go down, and they go down, and death is gone. Jesus won the victory and he yanks us out of the water and says, I have given you new life and I have given you purpose. Interesting that when Jesus got baptized at age 30, the very next verse in Matthew tells us that he was led by the spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus constantly, I'm, I'm, in, I'm, I'm more convinced that when I read the Bible and the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus had tough days. His, most of his ministry was going uphill. Because he had the devil against him. He had people who didn't like him. People who were jealous of him. But then the group that we're going to look at now, he had the religious people who were always wanting to discredit him, to have him arrested, to have him murdered. Jesus was God. And they didn't like it. Actually, they were afraid of him. And that's why they wanted to get rid of him. So in a gathering like this, yeah, you know what, Mike, I'm with you. I know I'm going to heaven. I know that Jesus died for my sin. I put my faith in him, and I know where I'm going. Thank God because of his grace and his mercy. But what about the rest of those around us who don't know Christ yet, who haven't given their life to Jesus? I hope that your heart breaks for people that are lost. If your heart does not break and moved and, and something happened on, on the inside of people, family members, uh, people you work with, people that you live next door to, people that you just hang around with that, that, that don't know Christ. If we day in and day out and we interact with non-Christian, non-believing people, which lest we forget, we used to be that way. It's not like, well, that's them and they're the bad people. No, we're all bad and Jesus is good and we're just thankful that we're saved and we want everybody to know where to get bread. Here's what Americans believe about life after death. If this doesn't move your heart, 
I want to encourage you, get to your knees quickly. The only place we're going to have a conviction about God and his reality and who he is, he loves you, he'll never stop loving you. But if we don't have a heart for the lost people, even religious people who day in and day out go to church every Sunday or have religious convictions or maybe stuck in some uh, a pattern of lifestyle that is, is, is completely so far away from God, if our heart does not break for those people, we must have resurrection power back in our life. I want to share with you some statistics about what people believe about the afterlife. 79% of people, every person has a soul. They believe, 79% of Americans believe every person has a soul that will live forever. I did not realize that. I thought that I thought in the last 10 years that was declining. I thought that number was going to be maybe 50, 40%. 79% of people believe that there's something beyond. That's encouraging. That's encouraging to me. We haven't lost hope yet, right? They may have lost hope in the church, and they don't want anything to do with church people. And I can understand why. I don't mean any condemnation. I just I can understand why somebody wouldn't come to a place like this. I wasn't going to come to a place like church. All they know is the Bible. All they want to do is hit me with the Bible. All they want to do is point out all my faults, and all they want is my money. That's a whole other sermon, but that's why they don't come to a place like this. But they do believe that there's something beyond this this life. We're not just animals. Does that make sense? 76 believe, 76% believe in a place called, a real place called heaven. They really believe that. I don't know if you've been to a funeral lately. One of the common phrases I hear all the time is, oh, so-and-so's in a better place. I hope so. I hope so. 71% believe in a place called hell. That surprised me. I, I didn't, I didn't, I thought we, again, our country has moved so far away from God. I thought these stats were going to be way lower than they turned out to be. 18% believe that you can come back in another life form. Reincarnation. Um, matter of some sort, another animal, another form, to believe we can come back, right? And 40% believe it is possible to contact the dead. Now, the reason that I want to bring this up is there is a crowd of people around Jesus who I want you to peer over their shoulders, and I want you to hear, and I want you to see Jesus today, okay? That's where we're going, but we have, to, we have to see the context of the crowd. There is a group of people named the Sadducees. We studied about them last week. The Sadducees were religious Jewish people. There was a group of them, not all Jewish people, but there was a small group of Jewish people called the Sadducees. And the reason that they're named Sadducees, they do not believe in the afterlife. All these stats that we just looked at are where people, they did not believe that once we die, there's something beyond the future. All they believed was the first five books of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the first five books really didn't talk about eternal life. It talked about the Old Covenant. I just, I just want you to know that because the group that's trying to discredit Jesus in public, which we'll look at in a second. Not only want him discredited, but they want him arrested, tried, and murdered. And they don't believe in the afterlife. That's weird to me. That, that, I have a lot of questions about that. Why would you be so religious and follow rules if you don't believe that there's something beyond this life? I, 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 I don't understand that. I got a question. But anyway, here's the truth about the afterlife. You ready? It, it's, it worries me that in America we have moved so far away from God that we move so far away from truth that we actually believe that someone can come back in another life form. 
Hebrews 9.27 says, it is appointed for a person to die once and then face the judgment of God. Die once, one time. We don't come back. Thank God. John 5.24, Jesus said, very truly, I tell you, anyone who hears my words and believes them who has sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. The key is there, past tense. He has crossed over. She has crossed already over to eternal life. This is, this is truth that we need. Not just, I, I tell you what, I need a church like this to come back to every Sunday because I get out of alignment sometimes. Does anyone just get beat up by the devil sometimes? Or people who don't want, like you or don't like God or don't want anything to do with you and it just seems right in a man's eyes to do whatever they want to do and the worldly thinking? I need to be realigned again. Oh yes, I remember. I have already crossed over from death to life. Because of Jesus Christ, because of grace and mercy and love. Revelation 1.18, Jesus said this, I love this. I am the living one. I was dead, but now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys to death and Hades. Isn't it good to know that the one you've given your heart to already holds the keys to unlock eternal life for you? Isn't it wonderful when you go into a place that you're unfamiliar and the person that is walking ahead of you already has the key? So I'm not worried. If he fumbles around or she fumbles around with a couple of keys, I know that on that key ring, they're going to find one that works. Jesus is the only one that has the key that works. We get to go into heaven, but we also have life here. Now, as I mentioned, the Sadducees, they were more savage than any other group during that time when Jesus was on earth. They actually mocked and ridiculed the resurrection that Jesus was talking about. So let's read this text together as they have, oh, an all-important question because they're so sincere and because they so want to know God and they really want to know whether Jesus was the Son of God or not. Not really. Then Jesus was approached by some of the Sadducees. See, I wanted you to know who they are so we don't just read past that and say, well, they were just a bunch of religious people. But now you know. Amen? Okay, religious leaders, I leaned over to Pastor Eddie and I said, are we awake this morning? <laughs> I hope so, man. All right, religious leaders who say there is no resurrection from the dead. They pose this question. Teacher, Moses gave us a law that if a man dies, leaving a wife, but no children, his brother should marry the widow and have a child who will carry on the brother's name. Well, suppose there were seven brothers. The oldest one married and then died without children. So the second brother married the widow, but he also died. Then the third brother married her. This continued with all seven of them who died without the children. I just want to stop here. Does anyone see what I see? Ah. <laughs> uh, What's the deal with the woman? <laughs> Seven husbands? Dead? I'd just be as far away as I possibly could, man, if I was looking for a spouse. Finally, the woman also died. So tell us, tell us, good teacher, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? For all seven were married to her. Now, before we read the rest of this, you see what they're doing? We got him. How in the world is he going to answer out of this one? How in the, how, what's he going to say? And so Jesus replied, I love this. I love Jesus. 
I love the way he answers. Sometimes he answers with a question, and sometimes he just hits with the truth. Marriage is for people on earth. And some of us are, some, not us, some of you are saying, amen, right? <laughs> In the age to come, those worthy of being raised from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage, and they will never die again. In this respect, that they will be like the angels. They are children of God and children of the resurrection. But now, as to whether the dead will be raised, even Moses proved this when he wrote about the burning bush. Long after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died, he referred to the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. We'll get to that in just a second. So, he is the God of the living, not the dead, for they are alive to him. A few more verses here. Well said, teacher, remarked some of the teachers of religious law who were standing there, and then... No one dared to ask him any more questions. Then Jesus presented them with a question. I have a question for you. Why is it, he asked, that the Messiah is said to be the son of David? For David himself wrote in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand. Until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. Since David called the Messiah Lord, how can the Messiah be this son? Wow. So, what in the world is going on here? There are three things that we see. Jesus definitely is questioned about the afterlife. Jesus gives truth about the afterlife. Amen? And there is a definite contrast between knowing we have eternal life and hoping that we have eternal life. Can I just say this one more time? And in 1 John, it says that I have written these things that you may know you have received eternal life. So if you're a Christian, I don't want any one of us here, MVCC is your home, to leave this place going, gosh, I hope I make it to heaven someday. I hope I get there. I hope I'm good enough to get there. We can never be good enough. That's why we're saved by God's grace. And the confidence of knowing, not confidence in self, but it's confidence in him. I'm saved, man. I know where I'm going, and I want to be more like Jesus every day. Right? Now, verse 27 to 33, seven husbands. What in the world is Jesus doing here? First of all, marriage was meant for a relationship on earth. Didn't he say that? Procreation, recreation, right? Camaraderie, relationship. But here's the beautiful thing about marriage. I thought um, when we had uh, the last two sessions of, of marriage, uh, Marriage 101 here at MVCC and Doug Fields, I thought Doug did a great job of teaching us about what the Bible says about marriage. And what I loved about one of the things he said is, Marriage, and this is what Jesus is trying to communicate, is a picture of God and us. So what he's really saying here, I've always kind of wondered, well, aren't Laura and I going to be married when we get to heaven? And Michael and Jonathan, are we going to be family like in a mansion? And I hope we're all going to be on the same street together, right, when we get to heaven. But Jesus is saying this. I believe what he's saying is marriage is for earthly relationship that is supposed to glorify we are what the bible says the bride of christ he is the groom so it's a picture of jesus and us that's what i love about jesus he's bringing it back to people who don't believe in an afterlife do you see how he's making the connection there is an afterlife there's something beyond this world there's something beyond these 50 60 70 80 90 years however long we're here there's something beyond now 
What he's saying about heaven, I believe, in other places, Revelation, the book of Daniel and Ezekiel, is that heaven is going to be such a wonderful place. It is the place of perfection. It is where the presence of God resides forever. That state that we will be in with a new body, when we take our last breath and we die, when we are with Jesus forever in eternity, what he's saying there in trying to communicate then, and I believe now remind us of, that relationship between you and Jesus will be complete. It'll be, it'll be like nothing you've ever experienced in this world. So we won't have marriage in heaven because we'll be with Jesus forever. You're going to know your spouse. You're going to recognize because in Matthew, it says that when Jesus took, remember Peter, James, and John up to the Mount of Transfiguration, and he saw Moses and Elijah and Jesus there? They recognized Moses and Elijah. We'll be able to recognize people in heaven. So it's not like you're going to walk up to your husband and go, who are you? (laughs) We're going to be in the love of God in a perfect place where there's the presence of God. Marriage will be so minuscule compared to being in God's presence forever. It'll be like, we'll be so happy for everyone. I, I, I was talking to a guy about heaven because he didn't believe in heaven. And he says, well, if there's a real place called heaven, is there going to be like softball there? Because he loves softball. <laughs> I said, That's good. I believe that as something better than softball. I don't know what it is. We'll, we'll get there when we, when we get there. But he says, well, how can there be softball in heaven if I win and you lose? <laughs> good question. I said, man, heaven is going to be such an amazing place. If you beat me, I'm going to be so happy for you. I'm going to feel like I won. That, that, that helps me a little bit to understand, I think, what Jesus is saying. The perfect place in heaven, the perfect relationship, there will be nothing that will compare to that. So there's no marriage in heaven. He's not saying, you don't ever get married. You don't ever have that love. You won't ever have that feeling that you have, you know, when your family's all together. He's not saying that you'll never have that. It'll be something so much better. Does that make sense? We are the bride. The presence of God is so real. And what he's making reference to in verse 37 to 38 is Moses wrote about this in the first five books of the Old Testament. Moses wrote about the very thing that Jesus was talking about. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are in heaven. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the big three in the Old Testament, they're in heaven with God. We know that, remember, because of the uh, Mount of Transfiguration. At least there were two of them there. So really what Jesus is making the connection with in John 8, Jesus said when he was on trial, when he was being questioned before Caiaphas, who are you? Are you the Christ? And remember when Jesus said, I am. When Jesus said, I am, the people that were listening to him were going, oh, oh, there's only one I am. There's only one I am the God of Abraham. I am the way. I am the vine. I am the Alpha, the Omega. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the light of the world. I am always with you. I am the bread of life. I am the true vine. I am the good shepherd. I am the merciful God. And I am returning again. There's only one. And when Jesus made that statement to the people who were listening, that's when they drew their swords back figuratively, and they were going to try and take his life, literally push him off a cliff, make him look discredited in that moment because they knew he was saying, I am God. And that's what he's declaring here to the Sadducees. Well, gosh, this is, I understand what Jesus is saying here. Okay, I get it. We're all going to heaven. There's a real resurrection of the soul, but I need help now. We just sung about that song. I need help now. Does anybody need help now? I need resurrection power now. Okay, cool. I can't wait to get to heaven, but for the next 40, 50, 60 years that I'm here, what about now? 
Does anyone have a request from God for help? I am always asking help from God because I know me. You know, they say we have five love languages, right? If you're looking to get married, you can take these notes and do it much better than those of us who are married think we're doing it. There are five love languages. One is the word of affirmation, encouragement. One is physical touch. One is acts of service. The other is gift, giving, and receiving. And the last one is quality time. My, my wife, Laura, asked me, she says, which one is you? I said, yes. <laughs> right, Pastor Brian? All of those. What's God's love language? I, I, I get it. I, I get from the prophets when he mentioned David. He's making the connection here that he is the Messiah. Agreed? And if you've got questions about that, say, well, I'm not really convinced. I would love to talk to you after. Our pastors, we would love to just dialogue with you about that because I understand that. But question is, what is God's love language when you and I really need help? When we are in the foxhole, when we are in 911, when things aren't going well. And Jesus, I know you're the resurrection, but I don't see the resurrection in this problem. I'm more convinced the longer that I follow Jesus that his love language is trust. Right? He wants us to trust him. Why is it so hard to trust him? Can, can I just share with you out of... How much time do we have, Brian? I have 10 more minutes. John chapter 11. If you have your Bibles, John chapter 11. I love this. I just want to recall this because I don't know about you, but I need some help today. And I understand the resurrection but Jesus raises somebody else from the dead. You might remember his name, Lazarus. I don't want to go back there because Mary and Martha are not happy with Jesus. They're not happy. In fact, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, who are sisters and brother, they invited Jesus to come to the little town of Bethany, two miles from Jerusalem. And Jesus would often go there because the crowds were so thick. They were so pressing into Jesus. He needed a, 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 an evening to just kick back and have some lemonade and rest. He just needed to rest and relax. As much as he's God in flesh, he still was human. And he got tired. I'm convinced of that. And so Mary and Martha and Lazarus would sit around. You remember, some of you remember, Mary was the one that sat at Jesus' feet. Martha was the one that was getting things ready for Jesus. And Lazarus was probably in the room just talking, hanging with Jesus. Can you imagine hanging with God? And they got to do that. And so this friendship, this friendship began to form between the four of them. And now there's a problem. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany. We talked about Bethany, the village of Mary and Martha, her sister. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Why is that important? Lord, the one you love. Lord, I know that you love Lazarus. Wouldn't it be great if at the end of the day, when we leave this earth, you were recognized by one thing? Oh, man. They were the one that God loved. doesn't mean that he doesn't love anybody else. But Lazarus so understood the love of God that his whole life was recognized by the fact that God loved him. Wouldn't that be great? That is the greatest compliment somebody could give us. And when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will end in death. No, it is for the God's glory. This is John 11. So that God's son may be glorified through it. 
Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. And when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed there. This, if we just read, we have the benefit of reading this, of knowing the end of the story. But remember that when this was written, uh, before it was written, they didn't know the end of the story. So we're, he stayed there where he was two more days. And then he said to the disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, can you see the 12 sitting there? A short while ago, the Jews were trying to stone you, and yet you're going back? You want to go back into the lion's den? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by the world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. I'm glad you cleared that up for me, Jesus. I still don't understand what you're saying. After he had said this, I guess why I'm bringing this up is it's okay to have questions. It's okay to wrestle. It's okay to have frustration about God. We all have a Lazarus. We all have something in our life. God, I want you to do this. Anyone else? After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of death, but his disciples thought he was talking about natural sleep. So then... He told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. He's gone. You see the questions they have? Well, he's asleep. He's going to wake up. Anytime Jesus used the reference to falling asleep, he means death. Why did he use that phrase? Because he wanted us to know that death is not the end. There is a resurrection. Just as you go to sleep at night, you wake up the next morning. feels like it was two seconds, right? If you've had a good night's sleep, it feels like it was just two seconds that you just fell asleep. And God is saying that is exactly like death. You fall asleep into the arms of Jesus when you take your last breath and you open your eyes and you're going to be with Jesus forever in heaven. Isn't that great? So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad. I'm really confused about this, Jesus. I don't understand this, but we'll look through this. And I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now I'm even more confused. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews who had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in their loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. I just want you to see this with me. Martha, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus says, you're looking at him, Martha. You're looking at the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. No one or the one who believes in me, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God who has come into the world. I got a lot of questions about this. Why did Jesus stay away two days? And it almost seems like Jesus is insincere. It almost seems like Jesus purposed all this to happen or allowed all this to happen for a reason. Bingo, absolutely. Can I just say this? Listening to this, okay, I got it. Resurrection, I got the thing. But I got this problem and I got this issue and I've buried it down so far, down into my life years ago. I don't even, it's all surfacing right now. I've got something that, so big, that seems so impossible. Why weren't you here? Ever ask yourself? 
God, how could you let that happen? God, why didn't you? God, you should have. Sorry, I just kind of look at the Bible for what it is. Martha's the one that's getting all the stuff in the kitchen ready for Jesus when he's there. Remember the, the account? Oh, I'll make a meal for you, but why weren't you here? That's really what she's saying. In, in one of the other Bible versions, it says she was indignant. She was frustrated. She was angry. She was mad. She was not happy with Jesus. I guess why I bring this up is I love these, these songs that we sing, I believe, are anointed and God-inspired. God, you'll never let me down. Never, never let me. I, I believe that. Can I be honest? When I sing those verses, sometimes it feels like God did let me down. Oh, I guess I'm the only one then. So what, why do we sing those songs then? If it feels like God will let me down, and it, but it's not the truth because God says, I am faithful, I will never let you down. I'll never let you down in the way that I'm leading you. I want you to trust me. Even though I've been gone for two days, Martha, you got to trust me. This is all part of the plan. This is part of the plan to allow Lazarus to die. In fact, he was dead in the tomb for four days because they had a superstition that after two days, someone could resurrect back once again. It was a superstition kind of a thing. And so God needed to allow him to be dead for four days. Four days. When Jesus performs one of the most amazing miracles to raise him from the dead, he wanted everyone there to know without a shadow of a doubt, this is real. I am the Messiah. And even though you don't see right now, you will see in heaven. But I'm doing this now so that one day you will see in heaven. You will be able to be with me because you believe. You know, the, most short, the shortest verse in all the Bible, John eleven thirty five, it says that Jesus wept. He cried. Why did John put that in there? Because I think he wanted us to know that Jesus understands our pain. He understands where we're hurting. If you feel, I believe every one of us here has a Lazarus in our life. And this all connects to the whole biblical teaching of, of resurrection power. But why don't I believe that God can resurrect something that I thought was dead? probably because I want him to resurrect it the way I want him to resurrect it. And he says, uh-uh. I see your pain. I, see your, I hear your cry. I see your heart. I know you've been asking and asking. But Lord, <laughs> it's already been two days. Nothing is too big for God. Four days. The, the end of the scene, and then we'll be done, is it says that Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And it says that the man came out with grave clothes around him, right? So I just believe he was... <laughs> Sorry, that's how I see it. But I got to believe, man, there was all this praise and cheering and wonderment and belief that maybe he is who he said he was. And because he is who he said he was, I will put my trust in him. When we finish here now, what do we do about this? I just have some questions. Well, the first one is life is filled with moments 
where we're faced with a situation that brings death and it needs a resurrection. That's what I learned today. You might be on day one. God already sees day four. Does that make sense? Isn't it interesting that in chapter 11, verse 2, it says that Mary was the one that anointed Jesus, remember, with tears and her hair with perfume? That was written after this happened and after Lazarus had risen from the dead. That shows me that God sees the whole picture. I may be in chapter 11, and God is saying, I already have chapter 12 done for you. Does this help somebody today? This is helping me because I got my own little Lazaruses in my own life. I got many of them. God, why don't you do this? And why don't you do this? And how about this now? And God is saying, dude, chill, relax. You're on day two. I'm seeing day four. Some of us are stuck in chapter 11. That's me. I, I got I to trust to get to chapter 12, right? So here, did I forget that God loves me? I know he loves me. I know, I know he loves me. But sometimes I don't feel like he loves me because he passes me by with all these bad things happening. It feels that way. It's, it's okay to feel at a moment God doesn't love you. If you ask him, Lord, it feels this way. Could you reaffirm your love for me? Isn't God big enough to handle that? When my kids were little and they'd say, Daddy, we don't like you anymore because you didn't give us ice cream at 10 o'clock at night. I said, well, you're not getting ice cream at 10 o'clock at night. You can dislike me all you want. I'm not like, oh, my God, my kids don't like me anymore. Oh, my God, they don't believe in me. Oh my. I'm not going to freak out because I'm bigger than them. I understand that, right? That's the same way with God. He doesn't freak out like we... <gasps> Did I forget that God is able? Man. He is able. Did I forget that he's there? Jesus already saw Lazarus passing away. Right? Has he, he has not forsaken nor abandoned you. Isn't that just reaffirming for us? Here's a question that we just kind of finished with here. Will we have the faith to follow even if God's timing is not on our timetable? That's really the question of the hour. Will I follow you even though I don't feel it? There's many days I don't feel it, but I know he's there. God not only wants us to see what he can do, but also to see who he is. Gosh, I needed to hear this this morning because I'm always asking God to do stuff. And, and he, he does do stuff. But remember the fourth day? But I also need to be reminded who you are. And the Sadducees couldn't see that. And then the last one, take to God the place in your heart, in your life, where it's dead. Take it to him. Is your marriage dead? Is your relationship dead? Is your job? Is your life? Does it feel like your soul is dead? Take it to him. He knows. I don't know. If, hopefully this may be helpful for some of us today. And if you're here today, and you, think, you know, I just think you're full of it, Mike. I just think you just... You don't know what you're talking about. I don't believe in all this stuff. I'm so glad that you're here. I really am. Because I had some of those same questions. And I just believe that God is faithful. And he will help you. Amen. We're going to move into a time of communion, of remembrance. In, in, in this last portion of the service. And the communion represents the cross. It represents the cross, but also the resurrection. And as we were reminded today that the resurrection is real, 
I just thought it would be good as we, in the seat back in front of you, there's a small communion cup and there's some bread and juice. It's just a time for us to take the bread, to drink the juice. When Jesus said, I have given this to you, eat this, drink this. I want you to remember me. I'm going to die. But what they didn't know in that moment is, I'm going to rise from the dead and I want you to remember that because you're going to need me and I will be with you and I want to remind you that I can raise anything from the dead. So God, we thank you for the reminder this morning of the cross. Thank you for the reminder, God, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. Thank you for the reminder that you are the great I am. And God, in this quiet moment, our heart is, we just want to chill. We just want to be at peace, remembering the greatest truth of all, that you love us. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for joining us at Mission Vale Christian Church. Just know that we always have live services here every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. We'd love to have you here, and we'll see you next time.